We're in Third John. Third John, almost all the way back to the book of Revelation. You know, the Apostle John, he wrote his gospel. He wrote three letters, and he's the penman, you know, of all of these, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but uh, also wrote the book of Revelation. And it would be exciting to uh, study the book of Revelation, and I think that may be where we end up. I'm praying about that um, on Wednesday nights, so as the Lord leads. But right now, I need to go through Third John, and what I'm doing is I'm pastoring the church with this Bible study, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. So there's some things that I see that the church needs to know, and some instruction that we need, and, and some ways that we need to be prepared for the ministries that we're doing, and the days ahead of us, and some of those things are here in this book, and so the Lord's put it on my heart to teach through this verse by verse. So I just want you to know what I'm doing is uh, spiritually leading our church with this book tonight. So, Third John. And I was sitting down and typing out my lesson, and I type everything that I'm going to say. Not always, but I am with this. And a lot of times I, I do, if I have the time. And so, in typing out everything that that I have to say, uh, I thought, well, I'll get through the rest of Third John tonight, but no, we're not. We're going to start at verse 6, and we're going to get down to verse 11. We'll just get into verse 11. So let me start there at verse 6, and I'll read these verses. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt... Do well. So, what we did on Sunday is we helped Brother Tim Lapish and we brought him forward on his journey. And we try to do that after a godly sort in our ministries and in our services. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Uh, a man, another friend of mine, uh, Gary Matthews, is spending the remainder of his years in a nursing home in Cambridge that I used to uh, minister in. I did that for years. Uh, held a service there every week. No, no. Every month. I did a monthly one there. And he's now there and he's... Uh, pastoring that that rest home and he has a service there every week every Sunday and I just saw him recently at Denny's at the pastor's fellowship and got to talk with him he had that stroke and his one side of his body the the right hand it still hasn't come back so I shake his left hand now and uh, he was there and there was a fellow helping him into the van and 
after the close of the, uh, the meeting and the meal, they were taking him back to the rest home and that fellow helping him into the van, he said, hey, how you doing? And I, I looked at him and I was like, I'm doing well. Do we know each other? And I said, you kind of look familiar. And he said, I ought to. You baptized me. <laughs> and I said, I did. And he said, yeah, you did. His name was John Seavers. And I, I just uh, I didn't remember him. But uh, uh, what does that say about the point I am in my ministry? When, but anyways, senior moment. And I shouldn't be having those. I don't know what's happening. Pray for me. It's me, O oh Lord, in the need of prayer. Yeah, and I'm telling you. So, uh, and it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing, but he, he, he understood, and I think he had gone to the church for a little while, and he didn't stay there. So, you know, he, but at any rate, talking to Gary, and I remember Gary preaching in our church, a man who loved the Lord, served the Lord, his whole life pastored uh, and started a couple of different churches. But this was the outline that he gave for this book. He said, you have the hospitable Christian in uh, verse 1, that's Gaius. He's the hospitable Christian. And then you have the haughty Christian. That's who we're going to study tonight. Diotrephes. In verse 9, he's the haughty Christian. And then you have the example of the humble Christian in verse 12, Demetrius. Demetrius is the humble Christian. We'll follow, we'll follow up next week and conclude this letter with the humble Christian. But tonight, we have this haughty, proud, stuffed shirt. Uh, this man, Diotrephes, that we're going to look at tonight. So, in verse 6, we, we pretty much completed verse 6 last time. But I want to just say this. That um, John said that if you do this, if you care for these traveling ministers... Bring them forward. Help them get a little farther on down the road to where God is sending them. If you bring them forward on their journey after a godly sword, thou shalt do well. And I said last time that I want to do well. If the Bible says if I do something, I'll do well, then I, I want to do that, right? At least the new man, the inner man, the, the spiritual man wants to do well. The old man, the, the, the old John, the old carnal flesh does not want to do well, and it will not want to do well, and that will not change. But the new man, and Christ in me, wants to do well. So when I read something like that, I think, well, that's what I want to do. And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the end of my life. Don't you? That's the judgment seat of Christ. And not everybody gets one of those. That comes from the Lord for somebody who has done well, and who has been faithful. And done it after a godly sort. Well, he said that uh, these traveling ministers, that they live off of the support of men like Gaius and churches. And they take nothing from the Gentiles. So we have something here tonight that we need to learn about local church ministries. And... uh, where the support comes from. Verse 7. Because that for his name's sake. They went forth. These traveling preachers. Going to start a church somewhere. And they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. No support. No food. No lodging. No monies. They're sent forth from sister churches. Which is a biblical phrase if you're wondering. And they are supported by churches. So the sending happens through a church. 
And the support comes only from churches. Gentiles, in other words, unsaved pagan people, that's who that's referring to, not just non-Jews, but the unsaved lost world around them that they're trying to reach with the gospel, we are not to take support from the lost world, from our communities. The Bible tells us not to do that. It commends us for the exact opposite. All right, so anything that we need for the ongoing work of the ministry, whether we're traveling ministers, church planters, uh, missionaries going somewhere else to plant a church, we're supposed to get it from God's people. Because this is God's work, and it is to be supported in God's way. There's a church in Orville, Ohio, Joy Baptist. You hear me talk about them from time to time. Their motto is this, doing God's work, God's way, for God's glory. I like that motto. And what, they, what they're saying is that they're sticking with what this book says. And we're going to use this book as our final rule and uh, authority in all matters of faith and practice, right? So we only take support that comes from God's people. A New Testament church should be autonomous and self-supporting. So self-governed and self-supporting. Take, for example, fundraisers. I've seen some youth groups raise money by washing cars of lost people, and it's not biblical. The, the people who come in to get their, their cars washed, they, they know that they are giving money towards something that these young people want to do, and so they're paying more than what it actually costs to wash your car, some of them. And they're giving towards that. That's not biblical. God's people should care for their own children. It's not wrong to teach children to work hard or to earn an honest wage, but this kind of a donation setup is just not, not biblical. The same could go for a brownie or a bake sale. Church is doing that to raise funds for the work of their own operation. A plate of spaghetti, a plate of pancakes... None of it's biblical. But the churches who do those things, they departed from the Bible long ago, and that's the reason why they don't have the support to keep their own operation going. The light's on to pay for a minister and so forth. You know, Paul made tents to support his work in Rome. Somebody might be thinking that. Yes, he did, but he wasn't taking donations. That was an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Or in his case, it was probably a night's work. Uh, so it was not a donation. And he was not taking donations from the pagans around him. Verse 7, it just seems so obvious that really it needs no comment. But the Bible says, Scripture says, the words of God says, that these ministers went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. And John was saying, this is good. This is approved by apostolic authority. And he's, he's commending Gaius for taking care of them because God's people ought to take care of God's work. Now, dear brother and sister, that means if every child of God in this church was obedient to the Lord to give 10% of your earnings, you say, is that before or after taxes? I want you to meditate on Calvary. And if you still come back and ask me that question, 
I'm concerned for your soul. And I'm concerned where your heart is. We take what the Lord blesses us with, and then we give 10% off the top to the work of the ministry of your local church. That's what every Christian ought to do. If you don't do that, you're robbing God. That money belongs to him for the work of the gospel ministry. If every church, if every Christian in the church did that, we would not want for funds. We would not lack anything that we needed to do what God has called us to do. There would be no problems. Now, listen, I don't look at the books. And it's been that way since I got here. I said that's what I was going to do when I first got here. And that's still the same. I don't know who gives what. Okay? And I know you're looking at me and you're like, you're just talking about this because this is where your salary comes from. There's not a problem with my salary being paid. That's not a concern for me. I've told the folks here before, I feel like I'm overpaid and they won't listen to me and they won't change it. But at any rate, that's not the concern. We want to do God's work God's way. And I want you, as God's children, to be in good standing with God and to be obedient to His Word because I'm preparing you for the judgment seat of Christ. But you see, we wouldn't have to have bake sales. We wouldn't have to have the kids go out and wash cars to go to camp or to go zip lining if, if God's people just supported the work of the ministry. So, verse 8. We, therefore, ought to receive such. So he's saying, receive the traveling preachers, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Okay? So John says, we, therefore, ought. In other words, it's the right thing to do. And uh, we have to do it God's way. And so we should take care of, of evangelists and missionaries for the sake of the big picture. So we're going to have a couple of missionaries come in. I recently met two more. That's these pastor's fellowships that I go to. That's one of the reasons why I go, is so I can meet uh, missionaries. The other reason is just to be an encouragement to other preachers. And and then the other reason would be so I can get a message. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I, I rarely have ever done that, used another preacher's message. But usually we hear two preachers. But anyways, I met two more missionaries. One of them, a brother going to China, and he would be a real good one. The other one guy going to Canada, and I'm not so sure about him, but, but you, you all can make up your mind on that. But they're going to come here. I've, I've scheduled them to come within the next couple of months. And uh, we ought to help them to do what God has called them to do. And as a church, when we take on a missionary, we support them at $150 a month. It's really not that much, and, but it helps when a lot of churches do that, when they get support from many churches. So we want the gospel to spread all over the world. That's our, that's our mission. And the local church is how God gets this work done. Listen, you, you find for me in the Bible a mission board. You find a mission board in here, a mission clearinghouse. It's not in here. But you know what you will find? You'll find local churches supporting missionaries. That's why the Independent Baptist Program for Missions is the most biblical program that you're going to find anywhere out there. That's why when, you, when churches are in uh, conventions or fellowships or what have you, uh, when they send their money off to a missions board, a lot of that goes to, to cover overhead, keeping the lights on, paying employees and so forth. When we do it, $150 that goes to the Mooberries goes right into Mrs. Mooberry's pocket. 
And so she can handle taking care of her family. And they take that money and they buy stuff like they rent a place for the church to meet. They buy gospel tracts to pass out, banners for for street preaching and so on and so forth, whatever they need for the ministry. So 100% goes to the missionary. I like being an independent Baptist for that reason. So the local church is the way that God uh, completes his program for this age. And if we do this, he says in verse 8, that if we receive these guys and support them, that we are fellow helpers to the truth. Do you see that in verse 8? Now think of that. That means that when you support a missionary, say if you support the one to Israel, God sees you as a fellow helper. Is that not right? You become a fellow helper. You say, what's that mean? That means you're helping too. That means you are helping to reach a lost Jew, say an Argentinian Jew, who has relocated to their homeland, the you know, the, the Holy Land, you're helping to reach. You're helping in that ministry. Um, let's say if we support a homeless shelter that's going out to Navajo Nation. <clears throat> well, we're reaching the down and outers, even though we haven't left Racine. But we're helping them as they come through. We help them along their way to get to their next church to present. And we may take them on for support. We may not. But we are fellow helpers. They might call and say, hey, we need some hymnals for our mission and we don't have a thing. I mean, the people coming in to hear the gospel, they don't have a dime in their pocket. If they did, they'd probably spend it on buying, uh, you know, some a little bottle of uh, liquor or, or buy a can of beer or something if they did have money. But they're coming in here and we're giving them a meal. You know, we're supported by the churches and we're fellow helpers, you see. Um, if you uh, are not able to go to China as a missionary... You can still be a fellow helper. You know what that really means? We're all missionaries. When you're involved in a missions program, you are a fellow helper. Let me give you like the flip side of that to show you this. God sees, uh, sees us as being partakers in evil deeds if we support the ministries of false prophets. We've, we've uh, seen that before. You can see it in 1 John. But if you support a false prophet, say a Jehovah's Witness, if they come to your door and you wish them well, John said, don't do that. Don't wish them, don't say good luck, Godspeed, don't do any of that. Don't say amen when they pray because you're being a partaker in their evil deeds. If you let them use your home for a Bible study, you're a partaker in their evil deeds. That's what the Bible says, that you are a partaker, you're a fellow helper. You're helping them out with what they're doing and they are deceivers and they do not have the truth and they have a false gospel and they're damning people. And he says, if you do that, you're a partaker. Well, just the opposite is true. If you help out a good gospel preaching ministry, you're a fellow helper. You are a missionary. And I want all of us to be missionaries. And so God sees us in that positive light. So verse 9 He says here, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, here's this haughty Christian, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. John said, I wrote to this church where Gaius attends, but you have this dominant leader who's causing problems. And uh, John was probably writing to the church 
just to tell the church what a great job Gaius was doing, taking care of these, these missionaries and evangelists. But this man Diotrephes, who was probably an elder, he was setting himself up to take over the church, to take control, to lord it over the people like a dictator. And John called him out by name. He said he loves to have the preeminence. He loves to be first place. He loves to be Mr. Large and in charge. Everybody to see him. Everybody to hear him. He said, he receiveth us not. What a thing. He won't receive a letter from the Apostle John. He won't even let the, the apostles into his church. So, you may not know this, but the early church... Uh, the early church was ruled by elders, by multiple leaders. Um, the, the, the pattern for the early church was to have multiple elders leading the church, not a single pastor, not a solo pastor. Uh, we have today, most often we have a one pastor setup, especially in a smaller church like this. But that's not what we see in the Bible. Do you want to see it? Would you like to see it? See, this kind of stuff takes time on Wednesday night, and that's why it takes us time to get through this. But I want you to see it. Okay? So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, uh, he said the Bible teaches that there's multiple elders ruling a church, not just one guy telling everybody else what to do. And, uh, and he said, I see it in the Bible. And he's just going on and on about it. And he, he believes in it strongly. He's been teaching his people in his church and telling them the way we've been doing it is wrong. And this is what the Bible says. All right. I said that to set up what we're looking at. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17 Look at it here. It says, And from Miletus, this is Paul. He wants to meet up with the leaders in the church of Ephesus. And he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem against the Holy Spirit's will. But he says, And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, plural. Do you see that? With the S on the end? Elders, plural, of the church... Singular, you see that? The church in Ephesus had plural elders. Now, that could mean that in, in Ephesus you had house churches because they didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in individual houses. And how many people could you fit into a house? I suppose it would depend on how much money they had. They were probably meeting in a courtyard. You'd have more room there. Maybe they were meeting on a rooftop, have a little bit more room. Uh, maybe they were meeting in a living room and the overflow spilled out into the courtyard area. I don't know exactly. But uh, 20, 30, 40 people maybe meeting in somebody's house who has a, who's a wealthy person. So you had multiple house churches, but the churches weren't real big at this point. So maybe each house church had a pastor. And that's the way I've always assumed that it was. Okay? But look at chapter 14 and verse 23. The more I got to studying it, the more I could see that the New Testament clearly teaches 
a multiplicity of elders, uh, a number of elders ruling a church. And the word elder meaning that they're older, as well as being uh, an, an official title for the office. So, chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. So, this is Paul again, and he's going with Barnabas and going through these churches where they'd started these churches, and they're going back through and confirming the souls and strengthening the work, and also ordaining elders. So, appointing them officially in every church. You see that? Elders, plural. So there's elders, plural, in every church. Now that's a little bit more specific. So you see, the more that I study it, the more I realize that's the, op- the apostolic model. Multiple elders. All right. Now, let's keep going. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. For some of you, I don't know, this might be the first time you've ever seen this in the Bible. And don't, don't worry. This is... Not meant to shake anyone's faith or to say, well, we're doing it wrong. That's, that's not a major concern. Uh, we're doing what we can with what we have. But this friend of mine, so 1 Timothy 5.17, he said, now it's biblical, it's what we ought to do. And I bet you come from a church where there's just been one preacher running everything. And ain't that right? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, that's what I thought. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. You've been teaching this to your people? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, okay, they see it from the Bible. Yeah. All right. Do you have anybody else in your church that's qualified to be an elder? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, you better not appoint somebody to be an elder if they're not qualified to do it. So you do the best you can with what you got. Right? Same thing with deacons. So in the early church, though, there were multiple elders and uh, multiple deacons. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 17 says here, Let the elders, you see that, plural, that rule well. So elders are supposed to rule a church. Not just one man, but a, a, a group of them. Let them be counted worthy of double honor. That is, take care of them. Financially, but he says this, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Right? So it's biblical to support a minister. If anybody says to you that, uh, you know, you guys just got that professional church there and you got your professional minister and all this stuff, people have their criticisms of what we do, but what we do is biblical. But he says uh, they rule. So. Uh, a, ch- a pastor should be ruling a church, not running a church, but ruling a church. That means that he's in charge. The pastor's in charge. In this case, it's, it's multiple pastors. But ruling spiritually, spiritually, not a dictator. I'm a spiritual leader. I'm not bossing anybody around. I'm not telling anybody what they can do with their money other than the 10% that belongs to God. I don't tell you where you can live. I don't tell you who you can marry or can't marry. I just say, in the Lord, marry in the Lord. But see, I'm being a spiritual leader. I can't tell you where you're going to go to school or not go to school. I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Right? I'm a spiritual ruler. And what I'm doing tonight with the Word of God, I'm ruling spiritually. 
I'm leading the church with the word of God. That's what it means. And, and I pray, and I might, if, if, I, if I, you know, a shepherd ought to smell like sheep, and so if I'm around people and um, doing my ministry of directing people spiritually, as far as our beliefs and our practices and those kind of things go, but it's a spiritual rule, not a dictator. Okay, now let's look at uh, just a couple more. First Peter, First Peter 5, 2 and 3. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Um, so he said, especially the ones who teach are supposed to be uh, taken care of. And uh, they labor, they work in the word. So it is a work being a pastor. Somebody says, all you do is work on Sunday. And I just, you know, the Bible says you're not supposed to be a brawler. Um, so I'm supposed to be gentle, but that irritates me. Because it's hard work doing what I do. It's just a different kind of work. And the laborer is worthy of his hire. Amen. Right? And uh, it, he said that there's, there's especially one who labors hard in word, in, in the word and in doctrine. So you say, what's that mean? Well, even if, you, even if you had, say, three or four or five elders in a church, and a church this size, you'd be really blessed to have two or three. But let's say you had three elders. One of those is going to rise to the top, and be recognized by everybody else that there's a gift of teaching. Amen. So you would still have one person who stands up in front of the church and rules the church as a spiritual leader teaching the Word of God. But in a lot of cases, what you'll have is you'll have multiple men occasionally taking turns teaching, but one guy who does most of the teaching. That's the way it actually happens in practice if you have multiple elders in your church. And First Peter chapter five and verse two says here, "Feed the flock of God, which is among you." That's what a preacher is supposed to do: feed God's people with the Word of God, taking the oversight. So you got to make sure everything's happening the way that it ought to happen according to the Bible. Not of constraint. Nobody's supposed to be able to force you to do this, but willingly. Now hold on just a second. I'll give you an illustration of this. In the Amish churches, which I'm not saying anything to make them look bad. I'm not doing that. But they have a practice that's not biblical, I don't believe. In an Amish church, let's say you have uh, several men in the church that are uh, family leaders. you know, And they go around to different people's houses and meet in their houses for church. So you have a, a couple of men in the church that are family leaders. And they've been selected by the church as being possible pastoral material, okay? So you're going to be the pastor for so long, and then after you're done, somebody else is going to take a turn. The way that they pick them is they'll, they'll take um, their, uh, their German songbooks, and they'll put a lot, what they call it, they call it drawing a lot, and they'll put a piece of paper in one of them, and then, so you got three hymn books, and they maybe you got three guys that you're considering, and they'll put them on a table, and then... Each guy comes up and grabs a hymn book and opens it up. And if he doesn't have his lot in there, he breathes a sigh of relief, you know. But one guy gets the lot. And it's not biblical. That's not willingly. That's of constraint. You're forced to do it. You've been chosen and you're forced to do it. It's not biblical. So it ought to be something you feel led to do, called to do. And you do it of your own free will. Not for filthy lucre. So that makes him a hireling if he's just doing it for a paycheck but of a ready 
mind. That means having the capacity to do it and the willingness to do it. <clears throat> so, neither is being lords over God's heritage. And if you ever have a preacher who you feel like is being a lord, lording it over you like a dictator, it's your job, church, to confront him. And you can just confront him and say, hey, listen, I think you're crossing the line. You know, you're crossing the line. You're, you're lording it over us. You're acting like a dictator. Nobody else has a say and you know, that, that kind of thing. But being examples to the flock. Do you see that? So the way that I lead spiritually is I live, I'm supposed to live a life that's an example that you can follow. And I'm supposed to teach the word of God and say, this is what God's word says. This is how it should be applied to us. And this is what it implies. You know, there's different implications for what it says there. And this is what we are to do. Now let's pray. And I pray that you'll commit yourself. But I can't force anybody to do anything, you know. It's, that's between you and the Lord. That's the way I see it. Now that, That's the best I understand it so far. But there are multiple elders in the New Testament. Last place, Hebrews 13. So Hebrews, I uh, go back two books to the left. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. I heard a preacher say last night he'd been pastoring for over 30 years. And he's getting ready to go back and be with his family in Florida. And, and was just getting to the point in his life where he just realized he can't keep doing it. And he needs to be close to family to have their help to care for him and his wife. And he's giving instructions to his church as he's leaving. And he's saying, it would be better for you not to have a pastor than to have the wrong pastor. And I thought, well, there's some wisdom right there. Uh, don't get the wrong one in there, because once you got him, now you're stuck with him, and you've got to run him off or something. You know? It'd be better to only have one pastor than to have two or three pastors and not have the right men in there, if they're unspiritual people. And so, we'll look at Hebrews 13, and I'll make a couple of comments. We'll go back to John, the third John, and then we'll finish up for tonight. Chapter 13 and verse 17 Obey them that have the rule over you. You see that? So according to the Bible, you're supposed to obey your pastor and submit yourselves. Now, not obey as a dictator, not obey as a harsh ruler, but obey as the one that the Lord's appointed to lead the church spiritually. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let me give you an example of how that worked. I've just recently said it, so I'm going to say it. So now you guys are thinking he's talking about money all the time. No, it's just something I've recently said. When I heard my preacher say, every Christian should be giving 10% of their income, and I wasn't doing it, and I didn't know it. I just said, okay, that's what I'm going to start doing. So I did, and I've never stopped. It's been... Uh, it's been, been since... 2006, I've been, 2005, I've been serving the Lord, and I just kept doing it. When I heard the preacher say, every Christian ought to win souls. It's not just people with a certain gift that ought to do it. It's, we're all commanded to do it. I just said, okay, I didn't know that, but that's what I'm supposed to do. So I just did it. I'm not the best at it, but I do it. When I heard the preacher say, it's a sin not to pray. We should pray without ceasing. God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. I said, well... I'm obligated to pray every day. I heard the preacher say, it's, you got to read a portion of your Bible every day. 
You know, you get to know God. That's how you get to know God is in the word of God. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I didn't necessarily go up to him and say, hey, preacher, I'm going to do what you told me to do. It's just the preacher leading his church spiritually. That's how it works. And, um, and I submit myself to a preacher as well. And that means being a faithful church member. Not a grief to them, because that would be unprofitable if you have an unhappy preacher. Let's go back to 3 John. So let me uh, give you a summary on that. The word pastor, elder, and uh, bishop are all the same term. They're interchangeable in the writings of Paul. They all refer to the same office. You call me pastor because I don't want you to call me bishop or elder. Um, Elder would be like the Jehovah's Witness. Bishop would be uh, the Catholics or the Church of Christ. Pastor is just what Baptists have chosen, and that's what we do. But they're all the same office, and right now you have one pastor. You say, when, when would we ever have more than one pastor? If you had like a youth pastor. There's a good example of multiple elders, a youth pastor. I have a question. I talked to you here not too long ago about my son goes to Springfield. Yes. they got a pastor, seven elders, seven deacons. Yes, yeah. And so, and it's biblical. And especially depending on the size of the church, you would need more. Because they're supposed to, like, shepherd, care for the, the, the needs of the people in the church. If you get to a certain size, one guy can't do it. And it's not necessarily the deacon's job. The biblical model is the pastors to rule and the deacons help the pastors. But um, let's say if your church gets larger, you could have a pastor. You could have a youth director, youth pastor. And then you might have a senior saints director. Somebody who's specifically caring for retirement age people. And then you might get to a point where you have something else. And that's the way that we've done it and, and as Baptists. But we don't call it multiple elders. We don't do that. But it's, that's the biblical terminology. I take it he says the pastor's not there for whatever reason. The elders are responsible for Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and, and they, they do occasionally get to preaching a pulpit, but everybody kind of recognized there's this, the one pastor has really got the gift and that's the one they want to hear the most. And God kind of reveals that to the church. And yeah. So, uh, and the good thing about it would be that it's not just one guy making all the decisions for the church. It's two or three elders getting together, having a meeting saying, we think we ought to do this, presenting it to the church. And then the church congregationally votes on things that, that need to happen. So what we're doing in our church is a little bit different. You have pastor and deacons, uh, or deacon, and then trustees, and we're sort of fulfilling those roles in a different way, but we're doing the best that we can with what we have. So um, it'd be nice to have another deacon at this point. All right, so let's go ahead and finish out verse 9. So Diotrephes, we'll get back and we'll deal with him. Uh, the Apostle John wants to go visit him and deal with him face to face. I wonder what that, what that looked like and what that sounded like when that happened. So he says, verse 9 of John, the third letter. He loves to have the preeminence among them. He wouldn't put up probably with this multiple elder thing. He wants to be the one, the one chief telling all the other Indians what to do. Loveth to have the preeminence among them, and receiveth us not. Now, folks, who has the preeminence in the church? Colossians 1.18, it's Christ. Christ has the preeminence. This is His church. This is not a Diotrephes church. This is Christ's church. This is not even your church, really. This is 
Christ's church. It belongs to Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we try to understand these things the best that we can and do the best that we can with what we have. And Lord, bring our lives uh, in line with your word. And uh, I pray that we can do things uh, your way, to do God's work God's way, uh, for God's glory. And Lord, um, Lord, I pray that you'd help me as a pastor uh, to learn how to preach and preach powerfully and forcefully, but at the same time not be harsh. And uh, but uh, to be a, a minister who's gentle, but uh, Lord, I pray that you'd lead this church with your word. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd protect this church from any any pastor who who doesn't have a heart uh, for the people and, and wants to be a, wants to be the big shot, and wants to be the celebrity, and wants everybody to do what he says. I pray that you'd protect this church from having any kind of preacher like that in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.